All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. I'm Jesse Cofield. Giants at the Niners this week. Uh, they're fresh off that comeback win over the Cardinals, guys. Giants are 10-point dogs in this one. The total is 44 and a half. And New York has a tough task here, okay? Their injury report not looking good here. Saquon Barkley dealing with the ankle. Ayuk also dealing with an injury here. So, guys, what do we think about the issues plaguing New York right now and overcoming being 10-point dogs? It's not looking good for them after that incredible comeback that they managed over the Cardinals. 10 doesn't seem like enough. No, I, <laughs> yeah. I know this is the NFL where that yeah. is a mountain to climb when you see that reflected in the line. Uh, and we are hopeful uh, as we look forward to Thursday Night Football to talk to Andrew Whitworth, yep. great analyst over there, former All-Pro and Super Bowl champion. But, uh, Dad, yeah, looking ahead to this, I was on the Locked on Giants podcast yesterday, and they asked me, hey, what do the Giants have to do to maybe go toe-to-toe with the 49ers in this game? And I, I, I don't want to be disrespectful because I think we all think this Giants team is trending in the right direction overall with the coaching staff and some of the pieces involved there. Saquon Barkley, you heard Brian Dable come out and say, we don't count him out. He's a really fast healer for how this might go for him. They kind of considered him week to week. But for the problems that have ailed the Giants, and I think they're you know a couple of fold here. First and foremost on offenses, they've been banged up along the offensive right. line, right? Andrew Thomas, Thomas. their best offensive mm-hmm. lineman, was out in this last game here. They're young and fresh on the interior. They've tried a couple of different line combinations. This is kind of like the Pittsburgh Steelers who are looking to take the next step going into this season. The 49ers are not hospitable grounds 
for your next step ideas as an organization. This team is a weapon right now. They are one of the most talented, if not the most talented teams in football. And they have come in playing clean football at a time of season where that's not normally the case at the beginning of the year. And so for Brock Purdy and this bunch, for Nick Bosa and company, I, I just don't feel like this is the kind of matchup where good things can happen for you in New York. No, I, I don't either. I think they're going to be in trouble in this game. They stayed out in Arizona after the game out there, the comeback win because their game is in San Francisco. So they didn't go home. Home. And you heard, as Mike mentioned, Brian Dayball say he's a quick healer and Saquon Barkley. We're not ruling him out. To me, there is no shot he's playing. Yeah. If you played Sunday, maybe. But he's had this twice before. He missed three games in 2019 with an ankle. He missed four games in 2021 with an ankle. So I, I don't see him on the field Thursday. They do have 11 days after that. So is it possible he can get back for the next game? Matt Breida, Gary Brightwell, Eric Gray are the guys that are going to fill in. Breida was with Dayball in Buffalo. Also, he can pass block, so you'll probably see him in there to help out knowing the offense. Uh, but this is, this is, I think, just going to be too tall of a task. It is football. It is the NFL. You never know what's going to happen with that oblong-shaped ball. But it's tough to think that the Giants can put together anything consistently that would overtake San Francisco without San Francisco having a lot of self-inflicted wounds in this game. Yeah, I think that's the thing. If you're a, if you're a giant <laughs> looking for hope, it would have to be the 49ers coming down off what's been yeah. their standard yeah. so far last year, certainly <clears throat> the last few years, but starting off very strong through the first couple games of this season. For more on what's going on in Thursday Night Football and the rest of the NFL here, very excited to bring in uh, former All-Pro offensive tackle, Super Bowl champion Andrew Whitworth, who's now doing a great job as an analyst over with the crew on Thursday night on Prime. Whit, what's going on, man? What's up, fellas? How we doing? Doing well. Still amazed out in Tahoe that you have a single-digit handicap. I, I still don't know where that came from, but unbelievably impressive. How did you do out there, by the way? Uh, you know, I did pretty good. You know how it is. It's an up and down week and you uh, you have a good day and a bad day and you love golf, you hate golf. So that's uh, that's always my relationship with the game. But I played pretty good the first day, not as good day two, and then kind of got it going on day three. It, it seemed my bad day coincided with drinking a lot of fireball on the 17th hole and that, that didn't work out too well for me. I learned a lesson. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah, that can happen out there real fast. You can get caught up in the moment. There's a lot of good energy and a lot of fun on that golf course during that event. <laughs> You know what? I'm just glad most often when people think of the, the good golfers on a football team, it's the guys that have a lot of time. So a lot of times it's the specialists, it's the quarterbacks because yeah. they're not getting hit. Whit, I'm really happy to see big guy representation in the world of golf for me, man. I don't feel like there's a lot of big guys out there doing this. That's right. That's my rep. You know, I try and get in there and, and represent the big fellows. But, uh, you know, I actually had a little time at the end of my career. I, I didn't, you know, I, I got a chance to miss a few practices there. So, you know, I felt oh, there we go. good on Tuesdays. Uh, you know, I got a little grief for uh, my golf swings on Tuesdays and my no practices on Wednesdays sometimes. But, you know, hey, it's all in the medical plan for the games. It's not my it's way over my head. You know, yeah. I, I, Listen, those are organization yeah. decisions from the top yeah. down. I'm just the recipient. Hey, bottom line is you earn those vet days. Yes. There's no doubt about that. So so Whit, take us inside now this week for the Giants for when you were playing, when you lose a top player. Uh, Saquon Barkley, highly doubtful he's going to play. How does that, and then especially in a short week, take us in the meeting rooms on the practice field of how the offense will deal with that? Well, I think you look at it, you, you go into a short week, you're on the road, and they decide to stay out in Phoenix for the week. It, it's going to be a challenge for this team to, to show up and play well Thursday night because 
those guys, like especially somebody like Saquon, you know, anybody that's been around him and who he is as a player, uh, you can imagine they lean on him a lot, not just as their unbelievable running back, but as just the guy and kind of the presence in the locker room and everything. That's going to be a tough week for them. That, that That's going to emotionally, it's going to be tough because you know he's who you lean on in football games and he's also your leader. And so I think for them on the road, maybe being out and just together, this can kind of create a little bit of an atmosphere of, hey, we don't have Saquon because he's going to be injured, but it's us. We're on the road. And that's the best part of the road in the NFL sometimes is sometimes you see teams where they have back-to-back, maybe three road games in a row. They kind of just say, you know what, forget it, man. It's just us. Let's go into this place and do something crazy. And it almost gives them this emotional boost. And that's what you hope for this team because they're going to need it. Uh, to be able to win a football game against this San Francisco 49ers team uh, without Saquon Barkley. Yeah, and for them, I mean, the start of the season goes all the way back to that drubbing on Sunday oh, night football to open yeah. the season against the Dallas Cowboys. It went early in the NFL regular season, especially in that world post that 2011 CBA where you got fewer less time on the practice field. We see now the preseason, there's fewer games, more teams are not playing their guys during that. How do players approach this first portion of the NFL season as you're really just starting to get back into the swing of things? Yeah, I think it's inevitable that we can't overreact in the first couple weeks of the season because really a lot of these teams, this is the first two times in weeks one and two that they've all all been on the football field, all been going full speed and saying, all right, you know, I look at some of these linemen that aren't playing in the preseason. It's the first time the quarterback can actually get hit. You've been practicing in practices where he's wearing a red jersey and a defense lineman can't really finish their rush because they're going to get thrown off the practice field for touching the quarterback. <laughs> you get in a game and it's like, oh, man, they just blew up the quarterback back there. And it's like, yeah, that's that's NFL football. You know, so even the Eagles line, you look at them week one. I mean, what a tremendous group they were all year last year. Struggled in pass pro in week one, you know, because you haven't played a lot of live reps of pass protection. And I know for me, even my last couple of years in L.A., we wouldn't play in the preseason. That first game, that's the most nerves and jittery I would be going into a game because, man, I, that I could even remember in my career just because you haven't actually done live reps. And so I think we're going to continue to see if this is the progress that we go on and somebody doesn't adjust to playing a little more. We're going to continue to see teams struggle a little bit in week one or two. It's just going to be knocking the rust off and getting a little bit of those jitters out of playing in a big moment. So for, for fans to hear that, for you – how many games, if it took that many, did it take to where you felt like, okay, now now I'm in my groove, I'm in my rhythm? Yeah, I started to feel at the end of my career, really, because I kind of that, that whole stretch was the last half of my career. Things continually changed. Um, you know, I felt like it really took, you know, week one was kind of more to getting those nerves and getting that, all right, I, I am the player that I see myself being, the things that I practiced and things I felt and practiced are real. I can trust some of those feels. And then week two, it's like you kind of took another step and then you kind of got in that groove in three and four. And, and so it, it's almost like you had to treat yourself like, hey, I want to be on a constant progress through the season. Not necessarily that I'll always start off week one, the cleanest game, just because even in live rushes, you, you haven't even seen a rusher. You play a Micah Parsons week one. Like when you place him, there's a there's a feeling out process of like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm 38 now. Like, am I moving quite like I was when I was 36? You know, so. All those things take time to get used to. You mentioned that time it takes. It seems like for the other team in Thursday Night Football this week, the 49ers, it's been no time. They hit the ground running in a way that very few teams in the NFL can claim right now. Is this the best team in football at the moment, With 
Uh, I think they are without question. You look at it, they they have a all pro at every level of the defense on both sides <laughs> of the football. I was talking about that the other day. That's crazy to me. I mean, the secondary, the linebacker group, the defensive line group on offense, the offensive line, the tight end, the running back, and a receiver. Every level of the defense, they have an all pro. And Brock Purdy, we can say what we want, is starting to play like he's a guy who's going to be an all-pro eventually. So, you know, that that's the thing. This football team is is unbelievable. I, I think outside of a couple deep throws that Purdy missed in, in the Rams game, I mean, that game would have been a lot different, you know. And so, obviously, the Rams played great in that game. I think more better than people thought. But this football team's really, really good. And uh, I look to them to be a team that I, I think is built to last throughout the season. And I think on the flip side, you look at the Giants – it's a team that got blown out in the playoffs, blown out in week one, and then we're getting blown out in Arizona. And I think something finally clicked and said, hey, if we don't do something about this, this is how every game's going to go. And they made a huge comeback. So can they build off of that positive energy and do something special in San Fran this Thursday? One of those all pros you mentioned, Nick Bosa, and we've seen through the early portion of the season, Micah Parson, Nick Bosa, TJ Watt, they've all shown up in bunches here. As a former lineman, you're getting ready in a game week for a team that's got one of those game wreckers on the other side. How do you guys approach one player like that who can be so destructive to your offense? Well, I think, you know, every team's different, and, you know, depending on, I like to use the word exposure of how much exposure there's going to be to their line to a great player, right? Are they going to drop back pass a lot? Are they going to try and move the quarterback? a lot of play actions, different things like that, or do they have a plan in place to help the guy who's playing them? And, you know, I think whenever you were a, you know, a top-notch tackle, somebody who's considered really good, um, and you were going against a guy like that, it really came down to, hey, this week of all weeks is a week that technically I've got to be on my A game and I've got to play the best of my ability. And that's why a guy like Andrew Thomas for the Giants uh, would be a huge factor in this game, whether he plays or not. Um, because they need somebody like that. If not, they're going to have to devote so much attention to him. Uh, the rest of the San Francisco 49ers D-line's really good as well, and that's going to present all the problems for them to want to drop, drop back and throw the football. So, Wynn, at this point, we have nine 0-2 teams, some we expected, others maybe a little surprised. Of these four that are 0-2, New England, Cincinnati, the Chargers, and Minnesota, who do you worry least about and who do you worry most about? Oh, man. Well, seeing as how one of them I picked to go to the Super Bowl, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> Me too. About the, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Yes. So I, I'm a little concerned there. You know, I'm concerned about the Chargers just because, you know, I, I just continue every year I fall for it. I think, man, this roster is so talented. They're going to win. I, just don't, I start saying I don't see how they don't win every game with the two rushers they have, with who they have on offense, the left tackle, everything. And it just doesn't happen. But I think I get less emotional about that one because I think they're a team I put in that category that the reality in NFL football is you either show the ability to go win games, tight games, or win big-time games that mean a whole lot late in the season, or you don't. And until the Chargers do that, honestly, I, I really don't react to them as much because they haven't proven to me that they can be that kind of football team. Whereas in Cincinnati – you know, I, I think for me, my worry is not really that they haven't proven that. They've shown the ability to go win 12 out of 14 games and go on these streaks where they get themselves in the playoffs and look like, well, wait a minute, this is the team I watched last year in week one against the Steelers. It's now playing the AFC championship game. You know, it's crazy sometimes the runs they go on. But this one feels a little different to me because – Burrow's hurt. They don't look the same on offense and defensively. They're giving up five yards of carry 
on the defensive side of the football and teams are staying on the field, moving the chains on them, which is not really something they were in the past. So I'm a little concerned about them right now. New England, you know, I don't think I expected them to be a great football team. You know, obviously Bill Belichick team is going to compete, but, uh, you know, less concerned in Minnesota. I think I kind of expected them to have a little bit of a down year after what 11, one score wins last year. Usually that goes the other way the next season. You know what? One team that surprised me is your old team in the Los Angeles Rams, who through two games got the big win week one in the division and then really, I mean, stood toe to toe with San Francisco for so much of week two. What's been the key for them to really come out on the other side of a down year last season and look like a team that's almost back to normal with entirely new faces there outside of the quarterback? Well, I think some of the things we just said about how the Giants performed, you know, to start this year and last year getting blown out in their last game, some of those ghosts and demons exist in your head of like, man, thinking of when you failed or a problem. The cool thing with this Rams team, I went to the game Sunday. They're so young, they don't even care about the Niners-Rams rivalry. They have no idea the Niners have dominated them over the last three years. They're like, you know what, I'm getting to play NFL football today, and I'm hitting the dude on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And I think the biggest difference I see in this football team is how physical they are. They're young, they're flying around. Puka Nakua is a guy that you watch him every catch he makes, he falls forward. He never falls down, he never falls backwards. He can get lit up making a catch, he's falling forward. Like they are a physical football team right now. And I think that's really something for them to be excited about and and really look to how, you know, I said this in the preseason, I wanted to see what they look like come November, December. Because they seem like a kind of a team talent-wise and young guys that want to fight that they're going to just play. They don't care whether they win or lose. They're there to compete and play. And so I'm excited about them, man. I I know Matthew Stafford and those guys have to feel good about the way these young guys have shown up so far in the first two weeks. We've gotten to know Puka and Tutu pretty well uh, over the first couple of weeks. Uh, Whit, you're an outlier playing 16 years. We know the average time in the NFL is way shorter than that, not even a handful. How difficult is it for veterans in locker rooms of teams with rookie quarterbacks where you know those teams are going to struggle to know one of their years in the NFL is almost going to be a wasted year? Yeah, it's a challenge. You know, I I remember when Carson Palmer left us and we drafted Andy Dalton in the second round, you know, and started as a rookie. And then, you know, also when I got to the Rams and it was Jared Goff had played a little bit his first year, but really was considered a rookie year for him with Sean McVay coming in and everything else. You know, so I've been through that. It's a challenge because there's things that you may expect as a veteran lineman that, hey, you know what, this should just be, you know, I should take it for granted that he understands this or that we all are on the same page about things and you can't do that. And then there's frustrations you're going to have that the reality is you've got to give them time to experience the games and, and develop and make those mistakes. And so, you know, I think it's really is a nurturing process to where you got to have a, a, you know, an even killed demeanor and say, all right, what is it that I can do to help him? One is I got to do my job and protect the quarterback. And I got to give him great pass protection. I got to give him great leadership in the run game. Like let's over communicate these checks to try and make it easier for him. And, and so I think you see those situations where they work a little better for a young quarterback when there's a veteran center, when there's a veteran couple guards, when there's some guys that can say, hey, man, you know what? We got the mic call on this stuff. You don't worry about it. And so I think some of those type things you see that you better have some experience up front for this young man to give him a chance to take some of those things off his shoulders all the time. So conversely, and we only got a couple of minutes left here, what we appreciate your time. 
when you get now all of a sudden a veteran there for you, when you go over to Los Angeles and all of a sudden they bring in Matthew there and you know, you've got a guy, when did you first know, Oh, we've got a dude here at quarterback and Matthew Stafford. That's the total opposite of having to deal with a young guy like that. Well, I think whenever, you know, you look at quarterbacks, anytime you can get a guy that's played as long and as well as Matthew Stafford has, you automatically have an advantage. Cause I always said this when that trade happened with him and Jared Goff, and you look at it even now, the way Jared's played is as if Jared was four years down the road, that trade probably never happens, but you just get to go and get, Hey, we get this experience goes playing every offense. He's played against every kind of defense you can think of. He's, he's taken on all the adversities of the NFL. He's still standing. And Oh, by the way, he's crazy talented. Um, I knew the first week he was with us. All right. This is different. When you walk in this huddle, there's no concerns. There's no worries. There's no, Oh, what coverage is this? Uh, he understands exactly what the assignment is, assignment is, and he's ready to go. And I think he's proven it with this young football team. I think Matthew Stafford's only looking like this with this young team. It's been incredible to yeah. watch, like you said, with all these new faces around him. And with him looking healthy, what a difference it makes for this football team. We, we appreciate the time, man. We're looking forward to watching you all season long on Thursday nights. Thanks so much, and hopefully we can talk to you soon. Yeah, of course, man. Appreciate you guys. Have a great week. Thanks, Whit. Yeah, it really – the Rams, to me, probably through the first two weeks of the season – One of the most One surprising. of the most, if not yeah. the most surprising team, just because we had no idea with a roster that had to almost completely remake an offensive line that Witt was a part of and skill group that's still without their best player defensively. Yep. Aaron Donald's looking around at that group too, not without a lot of work, you know, knowledge of – you know, I think they still got name tags on some of those guys. But, but other guys stepping up. Yeah. We talked about the two receivers nobody really heard of. All of a sudden, they're taking the, it by storm, and Stafford is probably happy as hell that's happening. It, it, Exactly. And we know for Sean McVay, there was a big reckoning this offseason in the last couple of years of, hey, was he going to continue to coach? How did he want to go about this? And all the things that Whit mentioned there are what you heard coming out of camp. Writers like Jordan Rodriguez were saying he wanted to get back to being a more physical football team. He wanted to mix in a little bit more of the play action stuff that was a hallmark of the early part of his career that when Matthew Stafford came over and they wanted to do more spread out four or five wide stuff, more drop back stuff kind of blending those two worlds now with this new crew all of a sudden got them in a much better place uh coming up next we'll take a look at the world of golf and some comments from phil mickelson yesterday on gojo and goal hey dad what do you do when you're out with friends the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help mm, that's a great question so what what should i do you should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. 
And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brought to you by Wrangler. Jeans, shirts, and jackets made for the ride of life. Be ready for those cooler days and longer nights in styles that keep you warm and keep you comfortable, moving, and looking great no matter where you are. You can wear Wrangler jeans literally anywhere. At work, out at night, playing a pickup game with friends, or at home, watching the game on TV. They're that comfortable and that durable. And there's a Wrangler shirt for every occasion. Casual tees, snaps and button-ups, or layer them together for a little of both. And don't forget the iconic Wrangler jackets. When the weather starts to chill and you need to venture out, Wrangler will keep you ready for anything. Add some Wrangler to your getup with jeans, shirts, and jackets that look great, fit great, and move great, so you're always ready for whatever life throws at you. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order when you use the promo code GOJO15. Wrangler, for the ride of life. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golag. On Monday, Phil Mickelson announced that he is not going to be wagering on football games this season as he is recovering from a gambling addiction. He was really candid, saying it affected those I care about in ways I wasn't aware or could fully understand. It's like a hurricane is going on outside and I'm isolated in a shelter, oblivious to what was happening. When I came out, there was so much damage to clean up that I just wanted to go back inside and not deal with it. So for more context on Mickelson's gambling addiction, let's listen to VSIN's Brett Musburger's conversation with legendary gambler Billy Walters a couple months ago, who details a conversation he had with Mickelson on betting the Ryder Cup. Phil called you once and wanted you to make a very significant bet on it golf match that he was actually playing in. Tell us about that, Billy. Well, one of the things that I've noticed in, in, in uh, the time that I was associated with Phil is in certain areas he was uh, very naive and, and he he was, I guess, kind of easily excitable. But he called me up and I was playing in the Ryder Cup at Madonna and he wanted to bet $400,000 on the U.S. team. Uh, I thought, thought to myself, I said, you know, he, he's, he's had to lose his mind. I said, are you lost your – I used some uh, 
uh, <clears throat> used some interesting words, but I said, if you lost your mind, I said, you know, you're viewed to be a modern-day Arnold Palmer. I said, don't you know what happened to Pete Rose? And uh, I said, there's no way in the world that, that I'm going to do this. And uh, he said, oh, okay, okay. And then that was it. He never made the bet. Uh, he did try to make the bet. Uh, and hopefully uh, he came to his senses after we spoke and uh, he never made the bet. Guys, it's just a critical reminder on why it is so important to gamble responsibly. I mean, at DraftKings, we always preach about only bet what you can afford, always set reasonable limits for yourself. And if for any reason you need help, we strongly encourage you to contact your local responsible gaming organizations. Yeah, it's one of those things, Dad. And with Phil Mickelson, it's it's been tough over the years because Phil's always been such a character in the world before the live golf admission. And then after that sort of became villainous in the world of golf or at the very worst, least infamous in the world of golf for his involvement with that group, what it represented and how that news came out to us. Phil's been a complicated first person to discuss publicly for a while here. But looking at this, and remember, we saw all the facts and figures yes. around the dollar amounts that he had supposedly gambled, the Billy Walters detailed in this book. And all of that jumps off the page as absolutely someone that has gone and operated at as an extreme in this area. And so it, it's good, regardless of the things that we can still think, like we can hold two ideas in our head about Phil Mickelson at once, right? That we may disagree with the way that he went about his business and the way that right. he's publicly represented the Saudis, the case around Live Golf and his goals there, and also look and say, it's good that a person who clearly seems to have a problem in excess in this particular area of his life has recognized that and is trying to do something about and it. And it's weird to say, but he's fortunate in the fact that, and he even admits it, the money wasn't ever the issue yeah. ever since our financial security has never been threatened. So we look at the number he lost and we're like, oh my God, but that the dude is worth like $800 million. I mean, and just got so much more when he went to live. Yeah. So he said for him, it was the distraction and the fact that he wasn't present for the people that he loved. He said, that's what was hurting the family the most was he wasn't there because he was so worried about the bet he made. So in, in, if, if you look at the big picture of this thing, he's kind of fortunate because how many stories do you hear of people who their life savings are gone yeah. for their family? And now it's not only a bad situation with their family, but they've taken all the financial stability or whatever stability they may have had away. His isn't gone and his isn't going to be gone. But he realized I'm not near the people and involved in the people I need to be with because I'm too worried about the, the gambling. So that's one of the reasons that he said he's not betting on football this year. I don't know if he's done for good in gambling. I have no idea. I don't know. But at this point, he's recognized that it's taking me away from the people I love or changing the relationship, and I have to stop that. Yeah, it's a good point and a reminder. Like This comes up all the time with athletes where people look at the problems of people whose salaries they can read online and who right. know what they make, and they kind of discount them. And it's like, no, their they're problems are in a relative sphere, though. It doesn't make the pain any less real for you and the people in your life even if you've got the money to be able to overcome what are no doubt the objectively more difficult at times parts and side effects of those decisions, those bad decisions and the behaviors that accompany them. So it is good to see. We're certainly happy that Phil Mickelson is trying to do better in this avenue. Again, it doesn't change the conversation around any of those other areas. You're still allowed to be critical of Phil Mickelson. In oh, any yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that doesn't change. It's just another aspect that, that we look at that if somebody realizes they do have a problem, as Jesse said, you know, there are outlets to get help. And that's that's 
certainly the sign of someone who wants you have to seek that help. It also you know, just, and 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 to to be helped. And that's the important thing, Jesse, right? Yeah, and it goes to show that these problems can affect anybody. It doesn't matter how rich and famous you are. It doesn't matter how great your life seems on paper. These problems can affect anybody. And it it is, you know, for me, I think it's cool to see him being so candid about how it was affecting his life. And he's saying, like, you know, this is something that I had to address with my family and everything. So I think it's uh, it's good that he's coming out and talking about it and not trying to sweep it under the rug, if you will. Absolutely. So we wish Phil Mickelson well uh, in, in that regard and what he's trying to do bettering himself in this right. particular area in his life. Uh, guys, I want to switch gears here for a second as we look uh, in the world of sports elsewhere. I know we've been pretty football heavy for most of the week, but Dad, we saw the news yesterday and actually involving the same doctor that yeah. worked on a football player <laughs> yes. here. Uh, star uh, baseball player Shohei Itani. We'll miss the Angels' final 25 games. We'll probably still win the MVP, but also now just had surgery on that injured elbow, a procedure that is set to kind of, I think, change the course of what's going to happen with his Major League Baseball career. Because, Dad, the headline coming off this is he's going to have the surgery. He's going to be ready to go and come back as a hitter by the 2024 season, but not pitch. That would come up in the 2025 season there. And while that sounds good to say now, I still think now that this is the second time we're dealing with an elbow injury like this for Shohei Itani in his career, and just the fact that every year he's getting a little bit older and every year this is going to get a little more difficult, I do wonder if we're going to come out on the other side of this in 2024 and still have a chance at this two-way phenomenon that we've had in the sport. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. As we mentioned, I already won Tommy John. In this surgery, the doctor said uh, they decided to reinforce the healthy ligament that was in place, and as, as Mike mentioned, he's going to be a hitter next year, and hopefully he believes go back to being the two-way guy in 25, but he's a free agent next year. So mm-hmm. how much effect does that have? L- listen, this hurts his his bargaining right now. It's all relative, gang. It hurts from the bargaining of the fact that we all thought his number was going to begin with six, sure. and now it may only begin with a high three or a four. So he's going to be fine, uh, but it is going to affect – as a team negotiating with him, if in fact he's going to be out on the open market, we'll see if the Angels want, want to try and, and get him back and what they have to pay of of overall what his contract is going to be because the pitching is definitely going to be in doubt. You could sit here and say he'll be fine to go in 2025, but we don't know. We have no idea. And even if he does, we have no idea how long it would last. I, I think the one thing I'd, I'd say is we probably discount often enough in this two-way phenomenon. Shohei Otani Otani physically is a mutant. Yes, he is. That is a big, large strapping. And we heard Brian Dable talking about the healing abilities of his star running back and Saquon Barkley. I don't want to discount the healing abilities of super athletes and the things that his body might be capable of versus others, but it does feel like this is probably the beginning of the end of what's been one of the most unique rides in baseball. And as always, it goes back to it feels like in some ways, it was wasted in a place that wasn't going to get him to the postseason the way we've yeah. seen from Mike yeah. Trout. We saw in the World Baseball Classic what a joy it was seeing Shohei Itani play meaningful games for Japan's team and what that could have looked like right. for all of us. We still got a ton of good out of it, and I don't want to act like it was any lesser. What he accomplished is so unique in the pantheon of baseball. How, how unique was it? I mean, we only talked about him and Babe Ruth. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, and used it to basically slander Babe Ruth and exactly. say he couldn't hold Shohei's job. Uh, that's exactly right. And the thing about here's the amazing thing is if he goes to a more of a contending team, 
he could still be the best hitter in the league. He may still be the best hitter in the league and we'll still think we're missing something because he's not pitching, or at least not until 2025. So he can sign that three, $400 million deal and be worth every penny of it as the best hitter in football. Or in baseball, <laughs> best hitter in football. I bet he could hit the hell out of yeah. somebody. That's a big boy. Coming up next, we'll look at some of the best hits from this upcoming weekend in college football next. <laughs> of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details so welcome back to Gojo and Gold. We just had a shocking revelation in the last break as we were talking about Shohei Itani getting the elbow surgery recently that's going to hopefully get him back by the 24th season as a hitter. And a doctor who also performed right. Aaron Rodgers' surgery right. coming off that Achilles rupture on the opening night for the Jets is that doctor, proud Notre Dame grad. Yes, he is. I think Atrachi, I'm trying to, Jesse, am I saying that name right? Uh, Neil Atrachi. We don't. Atrosh. He's an 81 grad. He was. He was a. a I was a freshman when he was a senior. You guys are doing Day. very different things on campus. It feels I, like. I would. I would say so. He's. He's. His career is really taking a different path than mine. You I guys, just feel like he was paying a lot more attention in class yeah, than you were. Then. He was pre med, yeah. but he has worked on Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Charlize Theron, and Ringo Starr. Wow. wow. To name That's a pretty few. impressive. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he needs a better PR person because that's a pretty impressive list. And I feel like the only sports doctor we ever know is Dr. James Andrews. Andrews, that's exactly right. Maybe maybe Doc, Doc Neal here is going to take over for him. I mean, I would hope so with that kind of resume already under his belt here. we yep. got to get him the agent that Brussels sprouts got. Mm, yeah, what? or cauliflower. Brussels sprouts or cauliflower. Like, you know how Brussels sprouts, for some reason, in the last number of years, really took off as, like, the side dish du jour at most of these high-end yeah. restaurants where you get it cooked. Put, and, put a little oil yeah, on it. Yeah, you get the oil drizzled. There's nice bacon bits on top yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Somewhere along the lines, someone made Brussels sprouts, a food that is inherently unsexy, a very sexy item to be included I on agree. the spread. We need that same PR what? person for our doctor here, so we can get him let, on this James let, Andrews trajectory. Let, let's get it. Let's get him on the show. This Notre the, the, the Notre show Dame, of record yeah. for Notre Dame, right? Call yeah. him up. Yeah, exactly. There we go. We will get the doc out here. We will yeah. work on that. In the meantime, uh, guys, I want to take a look at college football's premier bleep stirrer now. Yeah. Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss are also embroiled in some controversy with a lawsuit involving a former player and some things that have gone on. So I don't want to make light of that in what goes on here on the field. We can talk about that story on another day. But as we look ahead to college football this weekend, Dad, this feels like a major tipping point moment potentially 
for Alabama in the regular season, going up against yet another one of Nick Saban's former assistants in Lane Kiffin, who came out this week and made some really interesting yes, assertions in the media. He's not afraid to do that either. No, no. He, he, he's so not, he, not afraid to hit send. So he doubled down on this the other day, but he was asked a question, what is it like going against Kevin Steele's defense, the current Alabama defensive coordinator right. who had had a stop at Alabama before, but also time at uh, Auburn and mm-hmm. Tennessee, a number of stops along the way. And Lane Kiffin basically said, looking on the TV copy and what he saw and what he thought he saw there, it actually looked like another member of Alabama's defensive staff was calling the plays in that game defensively, not Kevin Steele. And that was just Lane Kiffin saying, based on what I know about this coordinator, based on what I know working with or working against him before, this is what I believe based on what I saw on the TV copy. That essentially implying that there was a demotion in the Alabama defensive room that was not made public to anybody else. Now, uh, you know, Nick Nick Saban unprompted refuted those suggestions in his Monday press conference and said Kevin Steele is the defensive coordinator. He has all the defensive coordinator responsibilities. The only thing that we tried to improve from an administrative standpoint was game day administration of getting signals in quicker. So that was the only thing we worked on as a staff, and the whole staff made a contribution to that. Yeah, and, and who knows what to believe, but I, I would be I'd be hard pressed to think that. There would be a demotion already. Now, they did give up 34 to Texas. And uh, Middle Tennessee and South Florida gave up 7-3. and So it's not like the defense was giving up a lot of points. But in the one big game they had, they did give up 34. But we have seen this defense give up some points in the last couple of years. So I I would be hard-pressed to think there was a demotion at this point, not to say that down the road uh, it could be. To me, the bigger issue is the offensive side of the ball. They don't have a passing quarterback. They, they've been through three already. They're struggling on the offensive line. So that's where I would have more of my worry right now. And Peter Burns, great host at the SEC Network, he kind of laid it out like this. Alabama Ole Miss this weekend. Ole Miss has the two best quarterbacks in this game in Jackson Dart and Spencer yep. Sanders, the transfer from Oklahoma State. Ole Miss has Bama's former defensive coordinator who knows the tide inside and out. Bama's coming off its worst game in 15 years, and Bama's O-line's given up 10 sacks in the last two weeks. If not now, then when for Lane Kiffin and company here? And, Dad, you wonder for a coach in Nick Saban who's marked for so long was he never loses to his former assistants. For so long, it was Jimbo Fisher and Kirby. We got to add Steve Sarkeesian to that a couple of weeks ago with the Texas loss. I do feel like there would be something about losing to Nick Saban that, or losing to Lane, Lane Kiffin, Kiffin that would just make Hurt Nick the Saban snap. Hurt the most, right? Because that would break him in places he won't Lane, talk about. Lane probably. has been the most passively aggressive, if you, if you want to use the word passively. You may take that out as well, far as saying things that you know you know, where they're headed and, and what the intent is. Well, and remember when Lane Kiffin was with Nick Saban at Alabama, he was always kind of seen as the thorn in Saban's side. He is single like simultaneously giving credit for ushering Alabama's offense into the modern era, going all the way back to when Blake Sims was the quarterback there, and they really started to pace and space this thing. But also by the end of his time when we get our yearly rite of passage of Alabama quarterbacks getting interviewed for jobs at the end of the season right. during their playoff push, and they essentially told Lane Kiffin to like go home and like do his thing with that as opposed to being a distraction for the team, if I'm remembering that right. So he's always been someone that personality-wise yeah. – seemed the most polar opposite of Nick. Because why would you, if you're an assistant that left and a head coach facing him, how Alabama had been, why would you want to do anything to ruffle his feathers, right? I mean, it's still Jimbo Fisher's biggest win at Texas A&M is when they beat Bama a couple of years ago. But 
that tenure has not been a great tenure at Texas A&M right now. So normally when Alabama was ruling the roost of college football, any coach, let alone someone who worked with Nick, would want to say anything even near inflammatory that Nick wouldn't take out uh, on you on the field and have his team take it out on your team. But they're just not that team right now. You know, so this is and I'm with you for Lane, if not now, when, you know, Mississippi always, especially Mississippi, Mississippi State, have those defenses. But on offense, you mentioned the quarterbacks, the quarterback in uh, darts, the leading rusher of that team. Now, again, they've had two. They've had uh, a couple some easy games here uh, in the beginning of the season. This will be a big test for them, But this could be the year. Two years ago, Lane Kiffin authored the best season in the history of Ole Miss football, more or less, record-wise and accomplishment-wise for that team. This would probably put it in a new place. And there's always been a group of people that have talked about, hey, if and when Nick Saban does step down, is Lane Kiffin a guy that becomes a candidate for that Alabama job? I think there's a lot of interesting plots. And one of many games that's going to light up this weekend – but, you know, as we look, Notre Dame, Ohio State, certainly the headliner. Yeah. Uh, or Oregon hosting Colorado is one that feels big because of what Colorado's meant. And it's during the day. State. I mean, last week was a 10 at night and had unbelievable rating against a team they were 21 yeah. favorite. Now they're 21 dogs well, and mean, playing in the middle of the afternoon. They're playing in the middle of the afternoon. Then they already announced the time for the USC game in Colorado, and they're going to be playing at 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific wow. as a start time. How you like eating your pregame meal at 5.30 in the morning getting ready for that one? That's I'd tough still call. puke it up. Yeah, that, well, you would puke it up anyway, no matter what. Me, personally, I like that. Earlier, the better for me. Get up, put my pads on, play, and be done. Uh, but that is pretty early. Players aren't used to that. But uh, So looking at this weekend's games, though, Iowa at Penn State, another big one, the first real test, we think, for Penn State and the Nittany Lions team that we expect a lot out of. But, Dad, it feels like the biggest overall impact on the sport as far as what's realistically possible. If Notre Dame or Ohio State wins that game, I don't think anyone would be surprised either way, right, based on where Notre Dame's arrived, based on what Ohio State's always been. For Iowa and Penn State, that's still a team we're waiting to see the ball go through the basket on both sides there. You know, you've got Clemson mixed into this weekend also with Florida State, where I think more people expect Florida State to dominate that one. But for Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin and everything going on, this could end up being the most meaningful game of the weekend, depending on the outcome. Either way, if Nick Saban and Alabama, who now announced Jalen Milrow as the starter for the rest of the year, if they're able to get things going the right way and right the ship against Lane Kiffin in a game everyone's paying extra attention to now, that goes a long way. And if they lose, the fire rises in this thing even a little bit higher. The big thing to me is the Pac-12 championship game this Saturday, uh, Oregon State and Washington State, the only two teams left in the Pac-12. Oh, there we go. So winner is it, right? Social respect to the Pac-2. For the Tupac. Oregon State (laughs) Tupac. That is uh, my copyright infringement that you're stepping on right there. Uh, Coming up next, we will finish this off with one of the best possible baby shoots ever. Next. Forgot the All right, guys. We're in the heat of the summer, and you need a pair of great shades that you don't have to baby. Knockaround Sunglasses is the go-to for quality, polarized shades that won't break the bank. Plus, they just released the first set of teams of their official MLB collection, including Red Sox and Yankees. Don't be the person that's squinting into the sun or worried about getting sand on their overpriced sunglasses. Check out knockaround.com for great-looking polarized shades starting at just 28 bucks, and use code GOLIC for free shipping on your order. 
All right, time to wrap up the show like we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to finish off your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, five-star rating, DraftKings YouTube, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV Plus, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. I will keep saying it until you listen, until it is something to every pore in your body. Um, But, uh, guys, let's get to uh, this uh, to start off with. Man, somewhere Van Wilder is just nodding his head in approval. As we saw the news yesterday, courtesy of On3, that Miami tight end Cam McCormick told reporters on Tuesday he will petition the ACC for a ninth season of eligibility. He added he's unsure if he's actually going to use it, but he just kind of wants the option. Wants a choice, wants the option, right? Ninth year. I mean, shouldn't he be a doctor? You know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a lot of people. He's been playing yeah. college football since 2016. Just let that ruminate. So he spent the first seven years of his career at Oregon. He redshirted in 2016, played 13 games in 2017, was injured the first game of 2018, and then missed all of 2019 and 2020 as well. He returned to the field in 2021 <laughs> and played in two games before suffering another season-ending injury and was finally healthy enough in 2022 to play 13 games once again. The eighth-year player has emerged as a key player on offense for the Miami Hurricanes this year, especially as a blocker. Dad, the number one overall recruit in his recruiting class was Rashawn Gary, who's currently in his fifth season with the Green Bay Packers right now. He has had an NFL career in college, no doubt about it. I I just love the fact he says, I don't know if I'm going to use it, but I just want the option. He wants it in his hip pocket just to know it's there, just in case. As I've told you guys, as I will tell anybody, go back. Stay in college as long as you can. The real world, unless you're going into the NFL, the real world is overrated. Don't do it. Stay on a college campus as long as you can, even though you're there long enough where people think you're a professor. I, I mean, yeah, that, well, and that's the thing at this point. So he's got his bachelor's. He's got his master's. What courses wanna, is he taking? I, I want to know what else he's working on right now. Yeah. We're going to go for a little JD here. How many letters can we add to this young man's name? Yeah, that's that would be impressive if, in fact, he cares about taking any kind of meaningful class. I mean, he's 25 years old and being injured that much yeah. is the other part of this. Like, you've gotten burned so much much by the injury bug at that point. The training staff, I mean, hell, you're the same age as 90% of the folks in there. You've got more in common with anyone in that room than you do with anyone in the locker room. I'm going to say he's not going to be on the field for a ninth year. I just feel like, man, he's probably going to be really tired when this is all said and done. I'm so tired. It's got to be hard to transition from nine years of college or, you know. Into the real world, right? Yeah, into the real world. It's got to be tough. Someone said that a guy, when they mentioned the career fair around him, a (laughs) chill goes down his spine as he puts off that tomorrow for another day. So, hey, listen, Cam McCormick, stay there as long as you can. Cherish it. Could could you imagine if somebody starting this year did it and was there nine years and having nine years of NIL? Oh, Honestly, that's, that's a different ball game now yeah. all of a sudden if you're getting the bag, actually. I didn't think about that. I don't know what yeah. Cam McCormick's I don't NIL package yeah, is looking yeah, like either. at this point in his career. But if you can get some of that money, then, man, <laughs> yeah. yeah, stay even longer there. Um, speaking of tight ends, let's keep the trend going and get to that. Jesse, as we had a very uh, interesting celebration for a first for a first time <laughs> in the NFL for one player. Yeah, okay. So Colts' third-year tight end. Kylan Granson caught his first touchdown pass against the Texans on Saturday, and he decided he had to celebrate, commemorate the moment with a little photo shoot. You can take a look here. He posted this on Instagram, posing with the football he scored with as if it was a newborn baby, as you can see. 
Caption, after three years of trying, it's finally here. And attention to details unmatched. As you can see, he's got a little flower behind his ear. Uh, his girlfriend was in a couple of the photos posing with him, again, like it was a baby. Honestly, this is the best little kid photo shoot I've ever seen. Because we were talking about it before. Babies look weird at the beginning. Totally. Weird. <laughs> like they, they just look like they're so small and they're like little aliens at that point. And people were like putting them in these like fun, cutesy little pictures. And they just look like a little creature at that point. I, you still love them. They're still great. You know what they're going to be. You feel all the love in your heart, but they don't look nearly as cute as that football. Yeah. Jesse, did you ever do a, a photo shoot with your, your first child, your daughter? No, I didn't do a newborn photo shoot because like Gojo laid out, you know, they look kind of freaky. And I took plenty of photos of my newborn to have and right. to, to cherish those moments. And I thought she was cute, obviously, but there's something so cringy about when people put on Instagram, they're like, our beautiful angel is here. And you're like, that? That is the angel. <laughs> See, and you're allowed to say that because you're a, a mom of yeah. going to be two coming up soon. Exactly. Uh, so you can say that. Did you ever do a pregnancy photo shoot? No. A maternity shoot. Yeah. It's not my yeah. bag. It's not my bag. I I do not like that stuff. You were here when we had to take our headshots. Wildly yeah. uncomfortable. No. <laughs> no. I do like the idea of he should have done the maternity shoot before this. Yes. As he's leading up of like him with the football oh, underneath his man. shirt with a little, the hand, my favorite is the hand pose. Yeah. Yeah. The, like the honestly, bottom, I'll hit yeah. that every once in a while after a big meal. Cause if I'm can. taking a picture, yeah. I can just rest my hand on top of my belly. It's like, Oh, we're expecting a poop later. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It's going to be beautiful. Always leads back to that. Time. It always does. But congratulations to Kyle Granson on the first of what we hope are many beautiful football-shaped children in his life. I uh, hope the family is all happy. Glad that the baby and dad are both doing well doing in this well. case. Um, yeah. Let's get to uh, the third. Uh, this one, really cool, Jesse. Uh, we've talked a lot on this show about how some of the recent hall of fame classes, we just did the college football hall of fame class announced for this upcoming year really got me feeling nostalgic as we got some new names that are going to be up for the NFL's hall of fame class this year, Jesse, that nostalgia is through the roof. Yeah. Nine players in their first year of eligibility are on this list. Um, you can see them here. Talk about nostalgia, Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates really headlining the list here. What do you guys think? Well, I think I still can't believe the last class last year, there was a writer, a couple of people that said, oh, I didn't see any locks in this class. When Joe Thomas is as big a lock as anybody when he, when he got in. I mean, my God, it was crazy. This to me, there's two locks and it's Antonio Gates and Julius Peppers. Antonio yeah. Gates didn't play football in college. He played basketball and was one of the greatest tight ends to ever play it was the all decades team in the first years of, of the two of the two thousands uh, had was right up there. It was one of the top as far as statistics in tight ends and receptions and receiving touchdowns. Incredible what he did in not playing college football. And Julius Pepper, it, it, Julius Peppers is fourth all time in sacks. Now I take that with a grain of salt sure. because unbelievably they couldn't figure out sacks before 1982. That's always a thing that it blows, blows my, my mind. mind. It's, it's like crazy. Just figured out how to count in the I, 80s. I, mean, so, I get that drugs were prevalent in the 60s and 70s. But damn. I mean, and then the one name that, that pops out is Deacon Jones on how many he would have had if sacks were counted. And some have said they've gone back and counted. He's at like 220 some. And the record is Bruce Smith at 200. But 
you're never going to be able to verify all that. But that's one of the most ridiculous things. But at this point, he is fourth all time, a half sack behind Kevin Green for third. He was one when he and Dwight Freeney came out together. And yeah. Dwight's in his second year of of eligibility, and, and and I hope at some point he gets in. Dwight's such a great dude, um, and was a great player as well. He was kind of that. Dwight was kind of that when the tweener became yeah. a position where that size used to be too big for a linebacker, too small for a DN, but he made it such a great position. But back to Julius Peppers should absolutely walk in Antonio Gates. So those two right off the top of my head should absolutely be first time. Yep, those should be easy picks there. Jordy Nelson, who I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is still actively trying yes. to campaign to yes. get him back on the field <laughs> with the New York Jets for next year. Brandon Marshall up for that as well. A couple of linemen, TJ Lang and Josh Sitton, talk about two guys that Aaron Rodgers is very familiar with as well. Uh, Big old Holodi Nada. Holodi yeah. Nada, oh, wow. who also yeah. very famously was a teammate of Chris Long's for a while, made the trip up Kilimanjaro, Chris Long's foundation, right. the Water right. Boys. That raises money and awareness to build wells in East Africa, goes and climbs that every That's year. That's impressive enough, that size guy. Haloti Nada has to be the largest person to have ever been to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Oh my gosh. I, I, I don't doubt that in my mind. Big imposing force on a lot of those great Baltimore Ravens defenses. Yep. Max Unger also in that list, too. Yep. Former Seahawks and Saints Center. Three old linemen. I, I don't know if any of them are going to get in on the first shot around, but uh, we'll wait and see. Congrats to all of them. Congrats to all that group. I'm with you. Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates, welcome to the Hall of yep. Fame. Uh, you guys, welcome to downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you all tomorrow.